Welcome, everyone, back to the Brocast. I'm David Woods, Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network, and I am joined on this beautiful Sunday by Tracy Pearson. Tracy, UCLA just lost in the Final Four. I feel fine. <laughs> it's Monday morning, by the way, but yeah, I feel I feel fine, too, and I know everyone probably wants us just to be in, like, horrible suffering right now but i don't think anyone thinks we're recording this at 4 30 in the morning yeah no okay i just love that whole illusion i know you just blew it out of the water i mean i blew it out of the water a couple of times but like they really don't think that i think they do dave but okay they they Um, are they do appreciate our dedication but i i've had friends and family who are all ucla related who did the whole gamut there were some i feel good and there are others that literally got physically ill (laughs) from watching the end of that game. So, yeah, I mean, I would say, so in the moment, like in the actual moment, uh, physical illness, I mean, from the, so, okay, I think I'm going to just describe my experience watching the last few seconds of the game, um, because I think it's going to mirror many of yours out there. I'm watching it relatively calmly most of the game. A few curse words here, a few hell yeahs there, you know, the normal the normal gamut of, of feelings and, and things you say during a game. And then uh, we get to um, J- uh, Johnny Juzang um, the first time down the floor. Oh, no, no, the, the, the Jaime Hakas three-pointer. That's the point at which I start to kind of get a little bit higher in my seat, right? where it's 90 to 88 in overtime. Then UCLA gets the stop on the other end. There's about 20 seconds to go. That's where I stand up. I take my rightful place directly in front of the TV in a defensive stance, sort of, um, but like not defensive as in you're um, like covering somebody in basketball, but defensive as in I'm trying to protect myself from the eventual emotional hurt that's going to be coming. And then... Um, over the next 17 seconds, I'm kind of just hunched over. And then Johnny Juzang misses the shot and then makes it. And I, I do the fist pump. And then I say to myself, there's too much time left. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they go down the floor and they shoot the shot. And it it looks good literally from the second it leaves his fingers. Like, you know it's going in. And I actually just collapse on my knees in front of the TV. And then that, I get up and walk to the couch. It's happened. At, it's happened at least a few times this year where you thought there was an ending to the game, and then something happened literally in the last second. Yeah, so no, as we soon were prepared. As Juzang laid that in. I said, three seconds? Are you kidding me? Yeah, too much time. <laughs> um, here, here's the other weird thing too, and just y'all picture while Dave gave you general experience when you're in the media you can watch uh, a feed which is a stat feed and the stat feed is about what would you say dave eight to ten seconds ahead yeah i have to turn it off or i have to like go away from that tab on my computer because i i can't deal with being ahead and and i i i do watch it and the way that little web page changes is almost eerie. It um, and this year it's been eerie because you know watching the game on TV and then it shows up that SC won. How, how? What? How does that? And then I watch it happen eight seconds later. That happened. That happened again here. Yeah, I <laughs> even though I even though I still knew that it's not over because of what happened with UCLA this year, watching that happen on that little website where the score just clicks over and it says what happened. And he's so just matter of factly, right? You just, yeah. Yeah. It, it was, it was gross, vile and disgusting. Uh, great basketball game. Um, but the thing is, so I felt that in the moment now, 2006, 2007, 2008, that's where I would have gone on. I don't know, a two and a half hour walk where I called everyone who had even, like, just the slightest bit of caring about this and just ranted to them for, like, a day in that two and a half hours. I don't know how I would kind of meld time to make that happen, but I would, about all the things I thought went wrong. Instead, within about four minutes, I was like, wow, that was really cool. 
Yeah, that's I generally I I came down from thinking they were going into overtime. That flash of a moment and thinking they're going to win this in overtime. Yeah. To then losing, then having that all sink in. But then very quickly after that, feeling first, that was a great game. That was just a spectacular game. It truly was. And and maybe the overview, maybe it came in too fast. Maybe I didn't mourn enough. But that this was a... <laughs> This was a phenomenal season. Yeah. It was a great season. And yes, if you still had won a national championship, what that would do for the program or maybe the national championship game. But it's, it's had a, it's going to like the story I wrote this morning or yesterday, sorry, it's going to have a huge impact on the program going to the final four and playing in that game, the way this program did. I, I mean, putting Mick, Cronin out there it's like putting him on a billboard yeah just this is this is the stamp of this team this is this is their identity yeah uh as being this tough ass team that never gives up never is phased and i like i said i've i've never written i've written we've written about uh that giant you know waking up before and whether it could happen and you know, we've talked about approaching that corner or whatever, but this is knowing how UCLA basketball is and what could happen. That is the giant waking up now. Uh, I, I, you can just see it very easily. And of course, it woke up for Halland, and he had it for five years, and then he just personally kind of uh, Greek tragedy shot that giant with some propofol <laughs> no 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 greek tragedy put him back to sleep never yeah, hire um, never hire uh coaches with uh tragedies uh, with uh, f- uh flaws out of a greek tragedy don't do it bad <laughs> move, bad news <laughs> that's what J- jim mora and ben Howen. don't Paul, don't do that again people. yeah as soon as you're talking to athletic director right? any greek tragedy in his background <laughs> yeah, yeah. any 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 fatal flaws <laughs> um yeah, so I, I, I guess totally um, it's it's a great um, great sign for the program. And it didn't actually – it hit me a little bit when I was writing it how close UCLA actually did come. Like obviously it was a close game the whole way through, but they were literally what felt like a Johnny Juzang jump stop away from beating Gonzaga in regulation. Oh, it's so funny that you said that. That's so funny because – so as my kids grew, grew up, I coached basketball. And the my biggest thing was just teaching them jump stops. That was just so big for me because little kids are obviously are just way out of control. Yeah. And just teaching them jump stops, jump stops. After that game, I got communicated to in various ways from people I had coached and said, hey – Where's the jump stop? <laughs> well, and that's the and it's the it's the it's honestly the saddest part of it is that he is really good at executing a jump stop. He's really really good at pulling up in mid range, and he was trying to do the thing like it was so it was beautiful. Honestly, he was trying to do the thing that he had learned mid season. Like he was trying to do the thing that Mick Cronin has coached him to do: draw some contact, see if you can get a foul, see if you can get to the line, even if you miss, be physical. That whole thing. Like it yeah. was, but it just wasn't the time. It wasn't the moment. Um, but it was just, uh, I didn't, it, it kind of hit me when I wrote it because I did write that, like, you know, it was a millisecond one way or the other. But then like to, this morning is where I was like, wow, they were really that close. They were really, truly yeah. that close. And I mean, I, I agree with you. Um, Baylor and or Houston just coming into that. I mean, Baylor obviously looks explosive as hell and the whole thing. But they don't look all that much different um, than, say, Alabama. Um, like, I think there would have been a game plan to figure that team out. Um, just had to had to get that jump stop, had to get that pull up mid key, and uh, who knows where that would have taken them. But well, the style that they're playing, the style that they have now mastered. I mean, eight turnovers a game. Come on, it's ridiculous. I, I mean, and and how all of them have come around to playing team defense, how all of them are making their shots that have been carved out for them. These are the shots you take. All of that has come together, but the style defending through the second, the shot clock, executing your offense through the shot, 
I just I just think that's another instance where Baylor would have struggled with this. If you watch Baylor, that that is almost antithetical to how they play. Yeah. Um, I think they would have had a real. <laughs> and and I didn't know if we should linger on this because it just it's so bittersweet. But just thinking about if this team would have won a national championship, I mean, you can't get through the sentence without kind of smiling or chuckling. Yeah. At, at, yeah. Well, and that's the thing is, I mean, I think. Um, as we were saying, I think towards the end of the year, I mean, uh, as far as like NBA lottery talent, no, I don't. I mean, I think even with Juzang's tournament, I don't think a team is going to spend a lotto pick on him. Um, I do think it's very likely because the, the NBA is prone to hype as much as anyone else. I think it's very likely that he'll go in the first round. Um, but uh, the just the, the, the talent on this team, I think there is a lot. I mean, it's kind of what I was saying pre-tournament or the beginning stages of the tournament there's a lot of good like it's a lot of good players not a lot of like super elite great players but it's a lot of good um and it's the kind of thing where you can end up with a david singleton coming in for johnny juzang and scoring 15 points really quick um like there's just a lot of guys who can fit into different situations and be credible assets to the team (laughs) And that yeah. depth, like that quality depth, which is, I think, something that, um, you know, I think gets... If you look at Gonzaga, for example, they don't have quality depth. They've got six or seven guys, and that's it. It's something that's kind of limited in terms of um, how it's effective in college basketball now. But UCLA, that's one of their strengths. They've got some quality depth. They can fit some pieces in there when they need to. Um, and every guy is good. You know, not, again, elite, but well, every see, guy is but- good. Yeah, what we've said all year is that there's no clear-cut NBA, you know, prospect here. And they are good and some let's just take Jaime Hawkins, right? Right. Uh, he's not a if from what we've all from what we know of him, he's not a clear-cut NBA prospect. He 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 wasn't. Um but if he keeps playing and he keeps getting better and he keeps learning how to play and how to use the talent that he has, which we've seen over the course of this year, <laughs> I mean, just phenomenally. If he kept doing that, yeah, he can play in the NBA, but it's not like a guy that you would look at just go, oh, NBA player, right, right there. That's what we've been. That's what we've been saying. How they're playing right now, I mean, I I thought that that's how they would be by the end of next year. <laughs> yeah, well. Like, and- this is when they would start. It would take one more year of development, one more year of Cronin getting him to play the way he wanted him to play. This all, this all just came together so fast. And Cronin says the turning point was was Michigan State, but I think it was incremental. It was losing those games. It was a lot of it was toughness throughout the season, and like what Tiger Campbell always says, if we just do what coach tells us to do. And I think that all kind of crystallized for all of them individually and as a team. But I didn't think that was going to – I didn't think that could happen that fast. If we just go back, Dave, and remember what we saw a month ago, this happened really fast. While there might have been clues and there might have been things that were happening, but I would have thought it would take another year. So getting back to whether these guys are – I kind of agree. I I mean, Johnny Juzang – it's going to be one of those things uh, when he, uh, as him, he's not a clear cut. There's there's holes in his game, and there are holes that he'll be able to fill with more development. But given that performance, as you said, like anyone else, NBA guys are human. They're prone to hype. There might be someone who watched that performance and say, "That's the guy we need." That's All, the guy we need. Literally, the only clips he needs. Him rising and firing over Jalen Suggs, and he's got that what five times in that game. It's, I mean, I, it's a hard thing for me to imagine at this point. It's actually a hard thing for me to imagine him coming back. Like that's that's the hard one for me because what we were saying after the Alabama game, where he kind of got stifled because he was going against athletes, he then went in this game against a pretty good athlete in Jalen Suggs, who's actually a committed defender for a freshman in college, and did pretty damn well um so it's you know it's just one of those things where um the circumstances of ucla making a deep run almost dictates the outcome um yeah which is juzang 
leaving, um, and which here's would be the my guess here, at this point. Here's the timing of it. The deadline for the player uh, to apply for an early entry is May 30th. Um, it's all The dates are all a little weird, obviously, given the circumstances. The draft combine, then, is June 21st to June 27th, so a month later. The deadline to pull out is July 19th, and the draft is July 29th. So, big, you know, it's going to be happening fast. It's not like a long, drawn-out thing like it usually is. You know, when do they usually start? Very early, like, eight, you know, in April where they can yeah. put their name in or something. So, um, it's, it's going to impact the program quite a bit. Um, if Juzang does decide to put his name in, and he doesn't decide to withdraw by July 19th. We are only at the beginning of April. So that's three and a half months. Yeah. <laughs> that's going to leave. That's that right now, seriously, in my opinion, if we're talking about next year and how good this team can be next year, that's going to be one of the major factors. And it's not even necessarily whether Juzang comes back. It's the timing of when the staff knows he's not coming back. Yeah. Because then they need to get involved. There's a, you can get involved. Let's say Juzang leaves right now and they go out in the transfer portal. You know, I'm pretty confident they're going to be, they'd be able to find a pretty good player. Hey, we just, look what we just did for this guy. Yeah. Uh, you can come in, what, you scored 18 points a game at your place? Come in here and do this here. Your one big showcase year, play within the team concept, play some defense, and look what we'll do for you. Um, I don't think they'd have a, that. It would be that difficult to find maybe a one-year or multi-year eligible guy to replace him. If he waits till July 19th, uh, that, the transfer portal's pretty much dried up probably by July 19th. Yeah, July 19th. I guess. So for me, looking at the roster next year um, – Obviously, Juzang is a would be a blow losing him from this year's team. Um, the hope going into next year, I, I so uh, let me let me step back for just a second because step back, looking at this year's team, I think they very much coalesced around um, this kind of isolation heavy ball uh, for the entire NCAA tournament, really, um, because that's what was dictated to Cronin by the personnel. I think they spent a lot of part of a lot of the season experimenting, figuring out, okay, what kind of things work with this team. And then ultimately they're like, well, we've got some power wings. Let's just ride them. Let's see what happens. And wait, let's right there. While you're saying that great point, because they weren't doing that at the beginning of the year. No. And, but this is the thing. So Cronin loves isolations at the end of the game. This is why I made that look like I had that line about end game basketball for 40 minutes because that's what it was against Michigan. Um, that's what it was for the entire NCAA tournament. He was doing what he likes to do at the end of games, which is ride his best players in isolations and have them either generate fouls or score. But he was doing it the entire game, every game. Um, and yeah. I think that's ultimately what he just decided. This is what this team is actually good at. So we're just going to ride that. But I guess what I'm saying is, without Johnny Juzang next year, and it, it, it's not like it's purely um, you know him leaving and then there's nothing to replace him. Peyton Watson is coming in, and if you remember, I mean, I'm talking to the people out there, when we've been talking about the roster for next year, balancing the minutes for those wings, for the two through the four, was going to be a major challenge. And it still might be if Johnny Juzang comes back. Because there are a lot of talented pieces there, and there's not, you know, there's 120 minutes to go around uh, per game. So you've got uh, Jules Bernard, who will more than likely be coming back. You've got Jaime Hawkes, who will more than likely be coming back. You've got uh, Peyton Watson, who'd be coming in. If you keep Johnny Juzang as well, um, and, you're, you're, and Jalen Clark. I mean, I'm not even talking about Jalen Clark, who could make a huge leap this offseason and suddenly be starter quality. And that's Chris, five guys, Chris, Chris not, e- not even counting Chris Smith, not even counting David Singleton, not even counting Jake Kyman. So when you lose a Johnny Juzang, you're losing your top scorer and the guy who completely like powered them in a lot of ways through this NCAA tournament. But you're also freeing up the opportunity for Peyton Watson to maybe play a little bit more, to, for a fully developed Jules Bernard to play a little bit more, for yeah. Jaime Hawkes, who's got a full offseason where he can keep his body in shape. Because if you remember, he came into this year looking a little bit thick. Took him until probably midseason before he looked like uh, Hawkes from last year. Um, he's going to be uh, having a full offseason of workouts. 
all of these guys are going to demand some real time. And I, looking at that wing rotation was giving me anxiety heading into well, next year. Well, uh, and along those same lines, we could spend a lot of time talking about would this team have been better with or without Chris Smith? And see, and that's what I'm, but that's what I'm saying looking ahead at next year, too. That's what I mean. Yeah, right? exactly. If they had put in Chris Smith, would there have been No, they the wouldn't rotation? have been able to because, so Juzang yeah. never would have hit full power. Like, he never would right. have hit the level he was because those, um, not all of those situations, but many of those situations would have been occupied by Chris Smith. And yeah. that's not necessarily a bad thing, but the thing that got them to peak efficiency at the end of the season was that Johnny Juzang was at, you know, full Death Star quality uh, heading into the NCAA tournament and throughout it. Um, would Chris Smith have been able to match that with a full season of isolation opportunities? Who knows? But it's hard to imagine. Um, and that's where it gets all this kind of tricky chemistry stuff. And not even just chemistry, but just roster balance. You know, you've right. got to be sure that you're, you know, the 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 parts uh, equal something more than... We screw up this phrase every time. The sum is greater than the value of the parts, yeah, something yeah, like yeah. that. You know what Everyone I mean. Everyone knows what we're Everyone talking. knows what we're saying. But that's the thing is this team clearly eclipsed what the, the each individual part. They were, now, uh, as yeah. a whole, they were better than the sum of their parts. Um, right. that's, yeah. And uh, I can say this too. People were talking about whether they would have been worse had Jalen Hill stayed on the roster. And I, and I can say if they would have had Jalen Hill from last year, this team would have been better. Without a doubt. <laughs> Without a doubt. Even maybe Jalen Hill from the beginning of this year, they still would have been better. January, Chris, Jalen Hill, they would not have been better. But Okay. But still, yeah. our, I think you could – the Chris Smith we saw in January, you would have wanted to play Chris – let's just talk about this for a minute. Let's just say you're playing Chris Smith. Uh-huh. You're playing Johnny Juzang. Mm-hmm. You're playing Jaime Hawkins. Mm-hmm. So Jules Bernard is getting less minutes. Yep. Jules Bernard played a lot of key minutes in this season. Yep. He he carried some games. Most improved um, player on the team. Yeah. So Chris Smith was struggling. You have you want to? Uh, um, Mick Cronin was looking like his mindset here, and I'm going to trust him on this because there was a lot of stuff he did where I was skeptical, and then it turned out to be to work out. He was going to play Chris Smith through his slump easily, while you and I were saying, "Hey, maybe back off those minutes on Chris Smith." There was no sign of that, and. I think Cronin knows what he's doing. So he would have kept giving Chris Smith his minutes. Juzang, Ju- there would have been a problem in the rotation, especially if Chris Smith had, hadn't played through that slump. When we would have known in this alternate universe that we just watched that Juzang, Hawkes, and Bernard were a great wing combination yep. this year. Yeah. So there's a. What we're trying to say to y'all. I know we all want a loaded, loaded, loaded roster. We want Juzang. We want Chris Smith. You want Amari Bailey in a year early. Oh, God. God, no. God, no. It gives me so much anxiety when they say that. When they start posting about that, I'm like, what is it you want? You just want an all-star roster? Because that's not winning. It's not just winning college basketball. It's just not. And then the funniest part, too, is, I I mean, it's first off, let's just concede. Discussing rosters, and I'm going to come up with a story tomorrow which just gives everyone a visual and a graphic so they can re- have that and you know refer to it whenever they go down this hole but it's gotten worse because the whole granted extra year of eligibility i get that so everyone's just in some funk right yep. but when they start saying well okay so we want to transfer post to make up for the jalen hill then he leaves uh but then um can what if we can get another post? So, wait, y- y'all, y- and Cody Riley comes back. Um, you can have five posts on this team. <laughs> Maybe if if Ken Nwuba decides to leave, which I don't think from whatever he, he won't. But you you can have five posts. I, I mean, ideally, they really want three. In this weird year with an extra year of eligibility, you might be able to carry four. But that still would be a, a stretch. Yeah. And then, and then remember now, the only there's, we are the only ones reporting this and telling you that Jalen Hill likely will not return, and we're pretty certain of that. That's one extra scholarship for next year. That's all they have to give. To give out any more, 
guys, just to just ground you here when we're talking about, you know, backup point guards or, or another post or whatever, they would need another one to open up. Um, so just remember all that. So and then what Dave is saying, you, that's you. Yep. Is is the balance in the rotation. There's a lot to be there's a lot to be said for it. Of course you want a big time all-star team throwing all of these guys and and even coaches, when you talk to coaches, they what they'll say to you, well, that's a good luxury to have, you know, that's a good problem to have. But they really don't want that problem. They no, really don't. They get greedy. But but I your point is that if Juzang does go, Peyton Watson is a good person to step in. He yeah. he's not the he's not the shooter that Johnny Juzang is. But he, he can put the ball on the floor and score around the rim a lot better than Juzang. And he might give you a little bit more versatility defensively. Um, you yes. know, as a weak side blocker, as a few different things with his length um, and athleticism. Um, yeah, I mean, there's, there's, there's trade-offs with all this stuff. I don't think, I mean, I'm trying to remember from like um, just the way it looks uh, somebody who is a similar scorer to Juzang in UCLA history, especially in this tournament. And it's hard um, because, I mean, when it was like just volume shooting from three-point land, I mean, we can all draw comparisons, and I made a few unfavorable ones earlier in the year. But once he turned into um, – once he really started turning on that mid-range and the drive and everything and just the body control, the ability to get his shot off in all these different situations, I don't really have a good analogy for it. It was really, really good. And you know, you know the feeling of it. The feeling of what he reminds me of. Just the the, the pure feeling of watching him is to me is Jason Capono. Yeah. Just that he, whenever he catches it and that stroke, that's so quick and so smooth, then you just you think it's going in. It's Jason Capono to me. That's how I feel. And I guess him. what I would say is I don't think that's replicable. I don't think that's replaceable easily. And I don't think expecting. Peyton Watson to replace it. Like, I don't think they're going to be able to just kind of microwave scoring out of that spot as easily as they were this year. But there might be positives on the other end. There might be positives defensively because for all that Juzang, I think, improved as a defender, especially in the NCAA tournament, for most of the year, and even in the NCAA tournament, he was probably a net neutral on the defensive end, something like that for the NCAA tournament, and probably a net negative before it. There you Um, go. Okay. And then, but if you add Peyton Watson to that group, you add a in shape from the get go Jaime Hawkes. You add Jules Bernard with yet another year of development under Cronin. Um, suddenly, you're talking about a roster that. So this one um, carried the toughness gene that uh, that Mick Cronin has instilled in them. I wouldn't say the NCAA tournament they they improved as a defensive unit. This is not Mick Cronin's ideal defensive roster, and this was not Mick Cronin's ideal defensive performance. They, they played as well as they are capable of playing, but he doesn't have the pieces to run the kind of defense he wants. He wants to have a top-five defense, and even in the NCAA tournament, this was not a top-five defense. They need rim protection, and they need a little bit more athleticism on the perimeter. Um, they'll get some more of that with simply Peyton Watson um, because he is, you know— He's not your um, pure five rim protector, but he is a good kind of weak side block guy, and he does add some athleticism and length. Um, They'll be able to play better defense, and just another year of tutelage for all these guys, they're all going to play some better defense. The missing piece is just a rim protecting five. They lost it with Jalen Hill, and that's the piece that they 100% need to pick up in the transfer portal. That's yeah. that's the number one thing, because if you were watching along against Gonzaga, what's the thing that happened over and over and over again? Layups, they got layups. 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 Yeah. Um, Need to prevent those. Right. So let's just let's play this out in real time. <laughs> uh, they will assume Jalen Hill's not coming back. So we'll start at square right. one. So they will be out in the transfer portal looking for that guy. Miles Johnson is probably the most obvious candidate. Um, he is a rim protector, one of the uh, best defensive center in the Big Ten, from what we're hearing. Right. Averaged two and a half blocks a game. I mean, he answers that bell, right? Yeah. Um, that and and if they don't get him, I I would think that they would get someone comparable. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, I mean, if you, you were going to say, hey, did you watch our game? Did you did, did you watch how many layups? If you're here, we win a national championship with you. So uh, if they don't, I'm, I'm haven't heard. I'm not trying to bring you all down, you know, to a soft landing. But because I, I think they still are leading and doing well with Miles Jones. Uh, there are other people we can't talk about yet that I've kind of heard about. Um, but let's just stay there. Then let's say Johnny Juzang decides to leave. This is what I'm talking about timing. Um, if he if he decides in July, they're kind of they're kind of screwed. But if they have that one to give in a reasonable time, let's say in the next month or so, what do you want with that scholarship? That's where it gets tricky for me. I think I want. Um... What I would want is a multi-year backup point guard. Um, That's ideal. That would be ideal. Yeah. Because um, I don't necessarily want somebody to even really compete too heavily with uh, Campbell for minutes. The great if he does, but I want somebody who can uh, be a secondary ball handler for the inevitability that um, you know Campbell either gets sick of college or. Um, the other secondary ball handlers that you see, like think about just last or he's night's injured. Think about last <laughs> night's game. Once, yeah. once, uh, so UCLA was controlling the pace, um, basically until the eight minute mark of the first half. Then Campbell goes out, then Hawkins goes out, then Bernard goes out, and uh, UCLA is left with probably the fourth guy that it would want handling the ball in those situations, which is Johnny Juzang. And that's no knock on Juzang. He's just not a. I mean, he he still needs to do some refinement on his handle and fa- re- refinement and just kind of approach. Um, if you notice, when he brought the ball up the court, it was not being passed. Um, but that led to speed up and it led to turnovers. Um, having just another guy who can credibly handle the ball in that situation without it, because fe- the thing is, when David Singleton does that against pressure, it feels like it, it feels like that same knife's edge feeling it feels like yeah. ah this is not good um yeah. you need somebody who's a set who's a true secondary ball handler in those situations where campbell's in foul trouble so you don't even have to use one of your big wings to do it um so for that reason i think that's the number the number two for me in the portal and, and if he's got two years of eligibility he comes in he'll probably get a decent amount of minutes even backing up tiger and and playing you know if he's a bigger type, he can guard a bigger, a bigger yeah. guy, stay on the court, play alongside Tiger at times, and then have the have an open spot at the starting spot, and then UCLA recruits a twenty twenty two point guard who comes in for one year, plays behind this guy, and then steps into the starting. That is the absolute ideal situation whether they would be able to find that that's an that's another thing yeah i would um, I would honestly I would open it up to. Uh, if you can get somebody who's true point guard at like six two or six three, that's ideal. But even a six two six three true combo, like somebody who can actually handle it, um, somebody who can defend a little bit, uh, who might be and, when he comes in actually giving a different and potentially better defensive look than even Tiger, who got a lot better defensively this year. And we're we're skipping over the fact that they have offered Ty Ty Washington. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, um, they. The last I've heard was that UCLA is probably running third behind Kansas and Arizona, amazingly enough. And if they got um, him, obviously that would fill what we're talking about here. Yes. Um, I watched him. Uh, there was a Geico uh, like little tournament thing on ESPN. I watched him play in two games. Generally like him. He's about 6'2 to 6'3, well-built, good handle, quick crafty score um more of a lead guard than a point guard had some good vision passed the ball pretty well but more of a lead guard scoring you know shot it better than i thought he would i mean i watched some tape on him but in a game shot it better very good at breaking down his guy getting in the lane and scoring on little on little floaters watching him defensively you know the team didn't really play that much defense but um he looked capable um the thing about that's interesting to me that kind of doesn't connect a little is I've heard that, uh, you know, they, the people around him think that, you know, he could, he's one and done or even G league right now. Right. Right. And I don't see that. I I mean, he's at, I don't see that at all. (laughs) 
really at all. I think he's going to have to think about two years in college uh, is what I would think having watched him play. Like there's so many things he's got to learn that, that, that just aren't part of his game. Um, so whenever you, ha- it's always, whenever I watch a kid play and, and I evaluate him and say, this is how I project him, but I'm hearing something so completely different from their camp in recruiting. It's just, kind of gets me a little off balance so yeah. that's you know we'll see if there's a bump for ucla with tai tai um right now as i said there ucla is running third it would be very interesting let's just say they do they make a comeback with tai tai washington and then they have a post player and they're one over and then let's say Andor Jaden Hardy. Uh, Jaden Hardy's probably going to the G League, from what I've even heard recently. But what if he looks at the the, the NCAA tournament and said, "Oh my God, Johnny Juzang had an NCAA tournament and he, he became a, a first round pick." All I look what Jalen Suggs did, as opposed to sitting there in your little G League, practically anonymously playing those games. Yeah, or you completely tank your stock like Dacian Nix did. Tank your stock or just playing in an absent void. Yeah. These kids these kids don't forget, yes, they are about the money of getting to the NBA. Absolutely. But they're also they're also about about the spotlight and the glamour and and the and you know the glory of of getting their name out there. That's that's who they are. They're driven for that. And and from the literal standpoint of, I, I mean, you make a big run in the NCAA tournament, you're going to make a lot more money in the NBA. So I'm not saying uh, this is me talking, but Jaden, you know, what if Jaden Hardy decides so not to go to the not to go to the G League? So it will be interesting. The time. My emphasis here in our little podcast is timing. Timing is going to be key, and I can't see a really good pathway for timing. Some things are going to have to go down for it all to work out, um, ideally for UCLA next year um, in, in terms of timing. Yeah. Yeah. The thing with the G League that I think is, I don't know, maybe this is just me sounding like a 75-year-old man, which is fine, whatever. Um, But it's not competitive, like it's not, um, uh, I won't say it's not competitive basketball, but it's not competitive basketball with stakes. It's it's a little bit like AAU. Um, That's the way it feels. I have to imagine that the the juice you can get from an NCAA tournament run, like juicing might be a first-rounder here, and he might not have been a draftable guy heading into the NCAA tournament. Like that's right. what that's what the tournament can do for you, especially when you finally get to see somebody in a high stakes game against another NBA prospect. Like seeing what Juzang can do against Jalen Suggs, that okay, there you go. You've got you've got the the film you want, um if you're an NBA scout, um, looking to be sold. Um G League, I don't know, man. It just doesn't. It doesn't uh, name a team like they're whatever. The G League Ignite. What? What is this nonsense? No. Uh, well, I mean, if it, if you need money, if and a lot, you know, if a lot of yeah, things. Yeah, no, but, but and there's some money to be made. I mean, Dacian Nix signed for three hundred grand. Some of the guys on that team signed for five hundred grand. That's a lot of money, and we shouldn't sneeze at it. And if we were in the same position, we'd probably go ah, five hundred. But there are some that the they they recognize that the money is going to come, and don't forget their egos playing into this. It's like ah, we're gonna I'm gonna make I'm gonna make hundreds of millions of dollars in my career. I want to go I want to go get some of that spotlight that I saw in the NCAA tournament with Johnny Juzang and Jalen Suggs. I mean, come on, it's it's college basketball. You can find somebody if you're good enough to pay you some money. <laughs> That's generally true. Um, <laughs> um, okay, so uh, the game, I mean, we, we've talked about it. It, it was, uh, yeah, sure, Insta Classic, uh, one of the best games of all time. Yeah, sure, all these accolades. Um, 
tons of fun. Uh, Tiger Campbell, uh, Jaime Hawkes, Johnny Juzang, and uh, the man, the myth, the legend, Cody Riley, I thought all played pretty close to their um, absolute ideal basketball games. UCLA played its best game of uh, the Mick Cronin era in this one. Gonzaga's just really, really, really good. They're really, uh, really good. Let's talk a little bit about this. First off, Gonzaga is very, very good. They're not as good defensively as I thought they'd be, actually. Um, There were teams that played UCLA a lot better defensively, over where I just literally every UCLA offensive possession said, damn, where are they going to get a basket from? I never thought that in this game. Gonzaga pressures you with how they play offense the same way UCLA controls itself defensively with how it plays offense. Yeah. Um, they go so fast. They do so many things that you are just so sped up when you get on it that um, it just makes you make mistakes and do other stuff. No, I don't think they're an elite defensive team in terms of their rotations and all that stuff. Uh, it's just th- their offense makes it so that it's like um, it's like in football when you get up big and you force an offense to be one dimensional. It's the same sort of effect. And, um, and then let's talk about Tiger Campbell, too. Um, the prevailing wisdom is that UCLA could never win at a at a really high level with Tiger Campbell. Nope. <laughs> I'm I'm gonna throw in that making it to the Final Four is an elite level. Yeah, yeah, I, and I, and he was if one you're of the... talking winning a national championship. I'm gonna just say getting to the Final Four. So and he, he played he was on a maybe team the most like... important player to either team in this game. I mean, right. I, and no no knock on Johnny Juzang because he was he was scoring out of his mind. But Campbell goes out. And uh, UCLA was on a run in that first half. I, I, Cronin, I thought, undersold it. He said they would have been up six at halftime. The way it was going at that point with the way Campbell was operating things, I thought they would have been up 10 at halftime um, yeah. if he had been able to stay in the game. Yeah. Um, if we break down his game, uh, he is about 5'11", maybe. Um, offensively, in this game... He was so good. <laughs> I mean, he he was so good in his ability just to feel out where to penetrate, go in, get his space, and then make his shots. Um, his little step through, ball fake step through. Wow, that this was this was great offense. It truly was. And uh, except for any any hit a three, but overall his game this year. He's generally been pretty good offensively, except for his three-point shooting. Yeah, he just needs to work De- on that. Defensively, he played a really good. He, game. I thought I thought he was the best. Play- I thought he was the best defensive player on the floor for UCLA. I thought, in this one. I thought and I was, thought he was going to be one of the two biggest liabilities. And that's what a lot of people thought going into it. Um, and he stayed in front of his man. He, he played. He had great anticipation in in certain moments. Um, I think we're. I think we're prejudiced just because if if there was a 6-2 point guard... We're trying to hold was, the short man down, Tracy. That's we what's are. Happening. If there was a 6-2 point guard who had the same exact game or a f- same exact tournament, there would be no knock on him yeah. at all. I Like I wrote on the message board, he is a consistent three-point shooter, a three-point shot away from being like an elite college point guard. Yeah, and I don't even know if I mean it's it's a like it's not even just he has to he doesn't have to be a good three point shooter. It just needs to be above thirty percent. That's all. Yeah. Like you just thirty four percent and wow. when you're wide wide open, you need to be at thirty four or thirty five. But like yeah. just hit thirty percent of those, buddy, and you will be you'll be playing somewhere. I don't know if you're an NBA player, but you'll be playing somewhere and making yeah. some money at some point. Uh, but he just, just needs to start making those shots. Yeah, no, I, Tiger Campbell can start for any UCLA team I ever watched. That was that was yeah. that was nails. Um, yeah. But anyway, so that game um, it was a, a absolute ton of fun. Uh, tour de force. Um, I don't think I've hated a college basketball player as much as I hate Drew Timmy um, in a long, long time. Oh, I've hated a few, but yeah, no, not in a not in a long time. You have to go yeah. back to one of those like Duke teams from like the early aughts to get me back to to hating at this level. Um, which is great. It's a great feeling to to really loathe yeah. to really That's loathe a twenty year old as much as I loathe Drew Timmy right now. Um, but yeah, it was a lot of fun. And uh, he's got a little bit of Christian Leitner going on. He's there, got some he? Christian Leitner. He's got some obnoxious um, 
what's that? Uh, who's that guy who was like from Mississippi in the early uh, or the mid aughts? Oh, what's his face? What's his name? Mm. Uh, oh, eh, it's not coming to me. Um, but there's just you know a bunch of just annoying dudes who make a lot of you know gestures. Um, and and I'm hoping this isn't the start of a gesture trend. God, I hope please. I hope that handlebar mat mustache guy doesn't start any trends. Um, God, just and you know what he? I had a long conversation this morning with a friend of mine who's very good at evaluating, and uh, he should just he should go to the NBA now. He's yeah. not going to get any better. He yeah, has get no get ceiling. get his Tyler Hansbro money for three years, and then go play in Europe for a couple more. And I just personally want him to go so he gets out of college basketball. Yeah, I don't want to watch him play uh, against the I UCLA. Don't want to watch him again. play anymore. And let's give him a little bit of. But what he's, a comp! No, that's a total. Compliment. He's really good. I, yeah. I mean, he is. He, he has. There's a lack of athleticism there. He's going to be and a national he, player of the year if he stays till his senior year because he's pure college. Like it's just you, pure college basketball. Him, if you watched him play in an AAU game like this, and I watched this exact play, I'd go, "Yeah, that's not going to work when you get to college." <laughs> yeah. And it and it works. I mean, yeah. some of his some of his little moves around. I'm all, how is that working? Is he does he have magic? Why aren't they just swatting the crap out of that thing? But he gets it done. He does. He's crafty. He's a crafty yeah. fella. He's a crafty um, dude. But UCLA, they made a Final Four, um, and I was I, I wrote a thing just. Ooh, you wrote a thing. I wrote a thing. Um, it's causing a stir. It is causing a stir on our message board. It's the uh, it's a generational conflict. It seems. Um, so UCLA has made a Final Four. Uh, it's made four of them actually since two thousand. Did you know that, Tracy? Like when you think about it, they made four. <laughs> I did know they've that. Made, they've made four. Do you know how many Dukes made in that time? Uh, no, I don't. Also I don't. four. Four. Do you know how many Kentuckys made in that time? Four. Also four. Uh, which programs get more hype? Which programs have gotten more hype for the last 20 years? Okay, so I agree with all of the... I'm considering that a rhetorical question. Yes. Um, I agree with all of that, but ha- just hanging banners, does that get them more attention? I think it's part of, a, it's part of an overall uh, ethos change. Okay. UCLA needs to start marketing its program as one of the elite tier in modern college basketball. That means... Okay, you've got the John Wooden years. That's great. That's the stuff that we have, you know, banners in the in Poly Pavilion for. We've also got these Final Four banners because we are a modern power in college basketball. We have done this stuff in just the last 15 years. We've got four Final Fours. Uh, we are right now one of the most elite programs in college basketball. And I don't think UCLA markets itself that way at all i don't think it really markets itself generally speaking much um in terms of that i think it's largely oh well winningest or most national championships in history and that's um literally every single one of them came before any current players were alive even the 95 championship like it's just so this is not modern history so and the I, thing we, is, yeah. modern history includes a UCLA, uh, an elite UCLA program, and that needs to be celebrated. And I, not necessarily in the background either. Like this needs to be in the forefront. It doesn't need to be at the forefront, away from the eleven national championships, but it needs to be right there um, yeah. because that's what modern college basketball is. Making the Final Four is extremely hard. It's on par with the you know, making a national championship 50 years ago. Like it's, you have to make it through a 64 team tournament. That's really, really, really hard. Winning a PAC 12 championship is much harder than winning a PAC eight championship. These things are really, really hard. And I think uh, there's this sense. And I think it's this part of this, um, idea where, um, you, you want the, the, the storied tradition and all that kind of stuff. It means nothing to people. The only yeah. people it means anything to are the people who were there for it. And then this odd sense in new fans like, oh, it's a program to root for because of that. None of that effect would be any less if you were also celebrating those Final Fours, if you were also celebrating those conference championships. I think what it does, it's, self, it's self-defeating because yeah. it perpetuates the narrative that we always hear that UCLA hasn't done anything. 
Yeah. And, and, and not only has, that it has, hasn't done anything, but also that it has absurdly high standards. Absurdly yeah. high. Yes, those two things. So beyond the banners, just to be able to market the program in that, I, so what you need to do, here's the, here's the opportunity. UCLA now has an athletic director who's looks to be like he's pretty good at marketing, looks to be like he's on a bit of a cutting edge, more of a uh, new generation kind of athletic director in Martin Jarman. You need to at him for <laughs> for the art when you tweet out the link to this. Oh, he's, he's, he's already program. received it several times. Okay. Because... I mean, we are we are so far in semi. Even though he hasn't really, uh, I mean, he's. I'm not saying he hasn't done much. He's done a lot for being there for under a year. He just hasn't been there enough to do a lot. But the first year, a straight straight a, homie, 100% a, right? Him him already. This is what gives me hope about him actually doing this and doing it pretty quickly. He's already done away with one of those meaning, actually a tradition that was more meaningful because it actually had an impact on the field, which was never playing in FCS school. Like that actually yeah. did have a meaningful impact on the field. He already did yeah. away with that without any focus grouping, any of that stuff. He just signed a contract and got it done. Yeah. Uh, this is even more obvious. Like UCLA needs to, and I'm I'm hoping that was a huge conversation that he was having with Mick. Um, maybe as soon as this thing was over, which is how do you sell this now? Because this is a Final Four. This is a Final Four with a team that's maybe going to be go down as one of Mick Cronin's least talented, at least as far as star rankings and all that sort of stuff goes. Um, how do you market this? How do you sell it not just to um, not just to your boosters who are already sold, not just to recruits who you're going to sell with a lot of other stuff too, but to new potential fans like because the thing is UCLA when it's been um a real national brand it gets fans from all over like yeah. there are people i mean there are people on our board who i look at them and they say something like oh i live in ohio and i i didn't go to UCLA i live in florida and i didn't go to UCLA uh, i went to whatever DePaul or something i just watched those wooden teams and became a huge fan UCLA yeah. always has that potential, but it's about marketing it. It's saying it's excellent because it is. It's not It's not just BS. Well, UCLA sh- has been, is now, and will almost always forever be elite because of its natural advantages and just start touting those accomplishments as they come. There's nothing weak about touting a Final Four as a major accomplishment. It is. That's why you feel good today because it was a major accomplishment. Winning a conference is a major accomplishment. That's why you feel good when that happens. That's why you feel good when they win the Pac-12 tournament, because those are major accomplishments. It's not somehow weak to say, wow, we should celebrate those just because, you know, 50 years ago, Wooden won 10 titles in 12 years. Like, well, that's well, just, he, that's, that's he, nuts. He, here's the main supportive point for me. Whether you're an old guy, how it doesn't matter. We all want, if you're a UCLA fan, you, we all want UCLA to do well in basketball and recruit well. You, to do well, Mick Cronin right now, I, I think we got the coaching down for the program. Um, he, needs, he, needs, he needs the Joes, the Johnnies and the Joes now. Right? Oh, oh, sorry, the Jims and the Joes, according to Charles Barkley. Okay, there we go. <laughs> Is that what he said? Yeah, they, well, he was saying uh, beforehand, Gonzaga, uh, all these teams have gyms, uh, but Gonzaga and Baylor, they've got gyms and Joes. Um, <laughs> That's kind of funny, actually. Um, it wasn't bad the first, yeah. like, three times he said it, but then he said oh, it about okay, 15 okay. more. I'm glad I didn't hear it once. Um, so the way you are a, a huge thing, and I'm just telling you, being having been around recruits, if you market this, and and say UCLA has been to since what years were you saying since two thousand? Since two thousand has been to four Final Fours, the same number as Duke and Kentucky. Just being able to market that and get that in the brain of these sixteen and seventeen year olds, that's what they want. That's what. So whether your argument whether we don't do that here at UCLA. 
I'm telling you that it would be a considerable marketing tool in recruiting to tout that. Yeah. If you can ever say that you, in the last 20 years, are on the same level as Duke and Kentucky. Yeah. Hell, even if you're not recruiting them, even if you're just recruiting West Coast guys, you know who's been to four times as many Final Fours as Arizona since 2000? UCLA. Four <laughs> times as many. Yeah. And if you go since 2002, it's infinite times as many. Yeah. There's, they haven't that, been in 20 years. That's the thing. I, it's not even about who's hanging the banners. To me, it's about getting this information out. But it's to, all part of it. Like you I'm need sure, to, you need to but, be, you need to be school wide proud of it. You need to be displaying it. It needs to be part of the message that's always coming out because the message you hear is 11 national t- titles. Great. When was the last one? Oh, 26 years ago. Like that's the kind of thing where it's, uh, you want this to be this, this it's forefront information. Like this is stuff that's, Hey, UCLA won the conference two years ago and it's, uh, made four final fours in the last 15 years. That's something that's meaningful to a kid who's 17 years old, not, Hey, 26 years ago, UCLA won a title with a bunch of guys who are, you know, 50 now. Um, and I'll tell you. It's very common when coaches go out on uh, the AAU circuit and, you know, they wear their gear, but it's often where they, excuse me, they wear a t-shirt that says something on it, right? That's where they think they're going to advertise to these kids. I've seen it from a lot of different programs that say, you know, this or this or this or this is, right? That that kind of stuff on a t-shirt where they're advertising because they know a kid's a kid's going to see it, right? Um, <laughs> I got a funny story. In fact, one Arizona assistant coach who's going to remain nameless, <laughs> and, I'm, and I used to be friends with him. He's a nice enough guy, worked his ass off, um, had a T-shirt that said, Arizona, the winningest, co- the winningest program in the Pac-12 since such and such and such, and he wore it everywhere. And after I, I, I just didn't want to tell him initially, but after I saw him wear it the third time, I went up to him and said, your spell, your t-shirt spells winning is strong. You have winning just <laughs> W I N N I N G I S T the winning gist. That's great. It was beautiful. And he hurried up and had more t-shirts printed for the, like the next weekend. But anyway, I've seen it a lot. Um, maybe they wouldn't do that, but the, I agree with you from the standpoint of being able to market this and get this, get it out there because it's 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 a pretty phenomenal accomplishment, and, and it signifies that UCLA is a dominant program now. And it, there's ancillary benefits too. I mean, it's not just that. I mean, how do you think 45 of the last 46 teams that have played at UCLA feel that none of their accomplishments, none of them are celebrated? Uh, That, you know, Aaron Aflalo, uh, who, I don't know, was part of the coolest surge of UCLA basketball that I've seen since I've been a fan. Uh, You know, it's nothing. It's nothing. It's not anywhere on the banners. Yeah. Billy Wins forgot all about it. Well, that's the thing is like, there's no, there's, and it just feeds this perception of the program that's not there, but also, I mean, it's just unappreciative. I mean, it's, that's, that's all it is. That's all you can characterize it as is, um, you know, I, I, when I was in school, they just kept celebrating all these, uh, 1960s title teams. And then the 1970s title teams with those halftime ceremonies, you know, two or three times a year, it felt like, um, but I don't know, are those final four teams ever going to have one? Um, celebrating them because that was cool as hell Um, and was part of I think for I mean a huge number of um, the newest bros on our message board like the ones who are like my age they the the reason they were this invested in it was because of those damn teams like it was because it was really awesome to be you know in poly pavilion for those three final four teams and treating it, and maybe this is just me being a little bit biased, uh, but treating that as if it's, oh, just nothing, like just absolutely nothing worth even thinking about 
is I, I don't know. I, I I think it's unappreciative, but it's also just telling a whole generation of fans. Yeah, sorry, nothing you, nothing you saw at all compares to what I saw when I was you know a student in 1965. And I think yeah. that's just the wrong approach. It's not inclusive of uh, different generations. Like if you want people to donate to a program, don't base it all on something that happened 50 years ago. Um, like if you want people to be fans of a program, appreciate it as it is um, and as it's coming because this is elite by modern standards. It's never yeah. going to be like Wooden again, all right? I, I know the generation that graduated then, it's always going to be spoiled, and I get that. It's never going to be like that again. So learn to accept these things that are... This goes for elite. Going to the Final Four, that's appreciated the same way winning a national title in 1967 was. And yeah. UCLA needs to get with the times. It needs to modernize there, and it needs to bring in you know, this idea of, of, um, you know, these things needing to be appreciated. Yeah. So uh, let's, let's just, uh, really fast since 2000, what's the rankings for final fours for programs? Um, there's a few, so there's a few non ish blue buds, blue bloods who are ahead, like Michigan state's gone to a bunch. Uh, I think they're at like, but it's basically every Final Four in their history. It's like seven of them, I think. Okay, yeah. Uh, UNC has gone to a ton. Uh, I think they've also gone to seven. Um, seven, that's amazing. Yeah, I mean, they've been really, really good. Um, what stood out to me, actually, was Kentucky and uh, Duke. So since 2000, Kansas has gone to five. But if you take it back to the last title team for UCLA, since 94, they're even. Uh, it's just since okay. 2000, Kansas is ahead by one. Um, and then uh, do, 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 do. it's Michigan State. It's uh, let me see what Louisville's doing. It's yeah, I'm looking it up, too. It's yeah, North Carolina by far dominant. Yeah, um, Louisville's been to three. Um, okay. So UCLA's ahead of them. Um, Florida's been to four. Florida's been to four, so Florida's even with UCLA. So it's basically Kentucky's North Carolina, four. North Carolina, and Michigan State are ahead, and that's it. Yeah, but in, in, see, this is uh, when you use the term blue blood, and you're talking, you know, that that encompasses all of college basketball history. But you know, uh, in recent basketball times, you could make an argument that Michigan State is is an elite program by sure. far. Okay, UCLA deserves. See, I think in everyone's mind, they just don't. People don't think UCLA is among the they elite don't rate. programs. That's yeah. and that's what I'm saying yeah. is they get thrown into this like second tier that is just not. An, it's not that it's. Um, uh, certainly, it's a downgrade from the wooden years, but it's just fully, plainly not accurate. Like it is not yeah. an accurate assessment of the state of the program. And UCLA's very way of marketing itself now feeds into it. Like, it yeah. makes it seem like that's accurate when it just isn't. If UCLA modernized its approach and said, hey, we've actually been to these number of Final Fours. That's a huge part of our program history. We're going to spend a lot of time celebrating them. Instead of, and I love Bill Walton, and I love Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, but instead of always featuring them in every single documentary or every single interview before these pregames, have Aaron Aflalo talk before one of the things. Have Jordan yeah. Farmer talk before one of the, these Russell things. Russell Westbrook. Have Russell Westbrook talk before these things. I'm assuming he's busy, but yeah. Have Kevin, Kevin Love oh, actually Kevin doing Love. stuff. I mean, but like embrace that. It's not an embarrassment to tout Final Fours. None of these teams thinks it's an embarrassment. They're right. UCLA is wrong. This is, <laughs> uh, and I, I know that's a hard thing for people to get their heads around, but it's just fundamentally true. If UCLA wants to be the kind of program that is constantly discussed as this national brand, as this national power, and get all of the stuff that comes with that, which includes money, like it includes so many different things, but it includes money. It includes yeah. a new generation of fans. It includes uh, so many good things for the school itself. Uh, just you got to start celebrating the things you're actually accomplishing, accomplishing yeah. now. Yeah, and and I'm just being far like my whole practical element here is that if you want to get the talent to keep winning, you need to get this out 
in just the face of all these recruits. Um, so that's all good. Just end this, Dave. I just, since we're talking about the future, I, I just want to kind of project how we're going to f- feel about being in Poly Pavilion next winter. Uh. When coming out of this pandemic, uh, there it's Polly's going to be packed. UCLA be even. I, I can even say this, even without <laughs> whoever is on this roster, it's it's going to be a preseason. I'd be stunned if it's not a preseason top five team. Yeah, um, I mean, so even if the worst, absolute worst case scenario happens and they don't even get an impact transfer and they lose Johnny Juzing, uh, they're top ten. Yeah. Um. Just the thought of what Poly Pavilion is going to be like, just the atmosphere and the feeling again. That's we've all been locked up for a year. We've all That's wanted a... to go out. We all want to go out to restaurants and do that. But serious, there is nothing like sporting events. There is in in our experience as human beings, as Americans, is there anything that rivals going into a big stadium or a big arena and you're sitting where with thousands of people. And you're sitting there cheering for something of all these humans running around doing something with a ball. I mean, and we're all passionate. There's nothing like it. A big play in a sporting event that gets 80,000 people on their feet at one time. What We don't have that experience in any other part of our lives. This is the thing to look forward to coming out of COVID. Yeah. Is going into Poly Pavilion with that place packed. And I'm, I'm pretty confident they'll be able to probably do 100%. By then, I'm talking by November of filling that yeah, out. Yeah. Hopefully, oh yeah, yeah, no. The first big non-conference game is just going to be that's going to be a religious experience. Like that's just yeah. fundamentally, that, and that's not even that's not an exaggeration. It truly will be a religious experience. I think. Yeah. Um, and then hopefully, Dave, they'll raise a Final Four banner. That's all. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. I'm counting on you, Martin. I'm counting on you. <laughs> We're counting on you, Martin. Got to get it done. All right. Well, uh, you got anything else you spent? No. I think we – Are you? this was a piece of art what we did right here. Absolute we... performance art. We laughed yeah. or cried. Um, yeah. All right. Well, uh, for that guy over there, Tracy Pearson, I <laughs> am David Woods, Bruin Report Online. And we will talk to you again next time. Let's all be safe and get ourselves a poly in the winter. <laughs>